Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. It's time for another edition of the podcast Bears Banter in a special crossover event with Bears Over Beers. Bill Zimmerman with you, along with E.J. Snyder and J.B. Jeff Burks with us as well. Guys, I am excited to do this with you. We haven't done anything in a while, and this is the perfect opportunity to do it. I am pumped up. I am excited. If you couldn't tell from that intro, E.J., let's start with you. How beautiful has this weekend been for the Chicago Bears? Uh, they don't get a lot better than this one. Uh, Ryan Page needed one thing and one thing only to happen. The chances were pretty low, but that doesn't matter now because it actually occurred and that spun the world as far as the football axis goes in Chicago. Jeff? There's nothing more powerful than hope. And Ryan Pace found hope in a bottle, and his name is Justin Fields. I mean, it's changed the city of Chicago overnight. All right. Well, we're going to dive into Justin Fields. That's going to be the big chunk here right off of the right, right out of the gate. But since this is a crossover event, we cannot forget the very important alcohol piece to this puzzle. EJ and Jeff already talking smack before the podcast about what they have in store. So guys, let's start with you. Jeff, let's give you the floor first this time. All right. I told these guys I'm bringing on a whiskey and a beer. We'll start with the beer. The beer is named Daydream because that's what it felt like on Thursday as the Bears took Justin Fields. It is from a brewery called Fire Trucker, which is appropriate because you need to call the fire station to put out Ryan Pace, who was on fire all weekend. <laughs> That's my beer and the whiskey. And I'm going to show this to you guys. I know you can't see this at home, but I am breaking out <laughs> some Pappy Van Winkle Family Reserve Rye, 13 years old. This is the best bottle of booze that I have. And I am breaking this out to celebrate with you guys because I believe the franchise has turned a corner with this selection. I can't okay. keep up. I can't keep up with your whiskey, but my beer is going to bury yours. So, <laughs> uh, Silver City Brewery, which I've had before on the podcast, uh, this serves a double purpose. The name is Hero Status. And look, <laughs> if Justin Fields succeeds in Chicago, he is going to make not only himself, but also Ryan Pace into heroes. And the beer itself is a cold brew coffee ale. So after four straight days of live streaming, I'm getting everything I need in one bottle. Beautiful thing for, for me. Now, this is this is a little odd. 
because uh, a lot of people may not know this. I've actually spent the last four months in Wyoming and actually just came back the last uh, couple of days. This wasn't on a vacation. There was some family stuff going on. We had a bunch of stuff we had to do. But that aside, I don't know if you, I only got back on Wednesday. And I don't know if you've ever left your house for four months, but it's amazing how much your house can destroy itself when it's left alone. <laughs> so I looked in a fridge that was pretty barren. I did not have a chance yet because I've been watching so much draft to go out and do a beer run. So I have a leaf pile ale. This is from Greenport Harbor Brewery, which is a great Long Island brewery. The problem with this is this is a fall beer. It's a pumpkin ale. I love pumpkin ales. The Bears are not turning into a pumpkin. This is a Cinderella moment for the Chicago Bears. So we're having autumn brews in, in spring because it doesn't matter because it's football season as far as I'm concerned. So autumn brews fit. So a leaf pile ale for me. So a little different considering it's it's May. It's it's the beginning of May here, but but here we go. So Let's set them you up. Got, you guys want to pop them open? Oh yeah, and I have my uh, Exxon Mobile glass from a uh, gas station in the '80s with the Bear logo on it that you used to get with a free fill-up. So I figured that was a little bit of beautiful. history. Beautiful bit of history for the moment. All right. Well, let's let's jump right in here. I'll start with with my expectations, and then I want to. Before we get into the Justin Fields selection and everything that went into that, let's start with expectations Thursday, two, three o'clock in the afternoon. You guys are gearing up for the draft. You're getting excited. Bears are sitting at 20. For me, I probably had too much hope for a move like this. I don't want to say I was expecting it because, you know, talking to people and kind of seeing how things were developing, I just didn't know if I, Mac Jones wasn't going to excite me, if he was there at 20, I would have wanted the Bears to take him, but he didn't excite me. And the idea that Justin Fields was probably the guy that was going to fall into a range where the Bears could get him, that excited me. So my hope was there ahead of time. But if it did fall apart and Fields was taken way too early, my expectation, which, like I said, it was less than 50-50 for Fields, but probably a lot higher than a lot of other people had, was offensive line. The way the it broke, it was going to be Derisaw or Jenkins for me at 20. So that's that's kind of where I was expecting things to end up. Jeff, where were you Thursday afternoon with this Bears draft? Yeah, I think leading up every day, I felt a little different. You take in all these rumors, you know, you're throwing as much salt as you can on every little piece of information that you're getting. And by Tuesday, I put out a tweet and I said, I have finally allowed myself to believe the Bears have a chance at Justin Fields. <laughs> that was Tuesday. And everybody's like, oh, my God, you jinxed it. You're killing it. You know, and it's like, OK, yeah, I get that. But I allowed myself to believe it. I had, I had seen a path that maybe these teams would take a different guy, but they'd be satisfied with Sam Darnold reclamation project, what, what have you. And so there was at least the hope going in. The expectation of course, was Mac Jones. EJ. Yeah. I actually sent you guys a tweet on Thursday morning and I said, I just can't shake the feeling he's going to do it. Like pace is good. Meaning pace is going up. He's going to ball stuff together. And like you, I just didn't think he had a shot to get, anywhere near the top. So if Justin Fields had gone off the board at four, five, six, people were getting all excited. Jeff had seen a path and other people had seen different paths and they were sure that it was going to happen. And I said, look, if he doesn't get to eight or nine, meaning Justin Fields, don't, don't bother calling me. He has to get to eight or nine for him to be in reach and for him to not be off the board. And if that happens, 
then I'm going to start to get excited. But I sent you guys a tweet Thursday morning and I said, I, I think he's going to do it. I don't think he's going to stand pat. I think he has to. I think he has to bundle up his stuff and go get what he can get. And I was hoping against hope that he wasn't going to like bundle up picks and go try and get Mac Jones at nine or 10. If all the other quarterbacks were off the board, that was kind of the, the worst case, but I still felt like he might, because I really just felt like he needed, he felt like he needed to make a splash. He knew that pressure was there. I didn't, uh, I didn't allow myself to do what JB did until he made eight. When he made eight, and the draft started turning. We'll talk about that. But when he made eight and the Panthers took a corner, I went, huh, just a little bit. I was like, oh, wait a minute. And then it was nine and then it was 10. And then what happened happened. But like at eight, I went, oh my God, this might come together. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's exactly where I was. In fact, uh, you know, Windy City, Gridiron, we were all kind of doing our, our predictions and what we wanted to see and, and kind of laying things out a, a few weeks ago in kind of the roundtable format. And my exact quote on that was, if Fields gets to right around nine or 10, call the Broncos Cowboys and see if that's the move you can make to get Fields. So it turned out it was 11. Uh, and it also turns out the Bears started calling ahead of time. On that, so they they were ahead of it. It was it wasn't until the Philadelphia Eagles. So thank you, Jerry Jones. Thank you, <laughs> big time, Jerry Jones. Because we'll we'll go over this. Jerry Jones, you can make the argument got the Bears Justin Fields because, I mean, the way this broke down and and, and you guys were, were have been talking about it. You know, when you look at the top ten, it really broke exactly to how it needed to break for the Chicago Bears to be able to make this kind of move. I mean, top five, you kind of go through it quickly here. Trevor Lawrence was a no-brainer. Wilson, that was pretty much lock stock for, for weeks. Everyone knew that Wilson was going to. And then we didn't know what the Niners were going to do. A lot of Bears fans wanted them to hope, hope that Mac Jones rumor was true, so it pushed two viable candidates down there. But they do go Trey Lance. I think everyone knew at that point the Falcons were taking pits. Bengals, there was some uncertainty there. And then when they took Chase, I think that kind of started opening the door because there were only three wide receivers that were going to be early. And that that allowed some of those guys to get pushed down the table a little bit and get, get uh, Smith into that 10, 11, 12 range for the Philadelphia Eagles. So, EJ, let's, let's go with you. What was kind of your thought as a Bears fan? I know you were analyzing the draft from, you know, you know soup to nuts. But as a Bears fan... Let's start it right after the top five. When Chase goes to Cincinnati and Fields is still there, are you is is that where the hope kind of starts going? Well, maybe he is going to be there at eight, nine, ten. I didn't at again that early, I didn't because I was fully expecting pretty much what you said, right on through five. Five was the first one. Look, are they gonna take Chase? Are they gonna take Sewell? But then there's wild cards and it's, you know, Miami that's traded down and then back up. Are they willing to take more picks and go back down if they think their guy got pushed down? Who's going to make a play? Because Justin Fields is still a tremendously valuable asset at that point. And anybody else that wants a shot at him that might be closer than the Bears, again, could have been Panthers, could have been Broncos, could have been any team that wanted to go up. Look, they're only four or five spots away at that point, and they can call up Miami and say, hey, you want to slide back a few spots, and we need Justin Fields. And I really thought that was going to happen because we'll talk about Justin Fields as a prospect in a bit, but he's 
the second best quarterback in the draft for sure, possibly. And we find out today that scouts were split. And I, I think there's an argument for maybe even the best quarterback in the draft. So up at that range, I really wasn't doing it. And you said it was Jerry Jones. I really think it was Vic Fangio and George Payton. When they took Sertan, Sertan to the Cowboys was one of those chalk picks that for weeks people have been saying, look, Pat Sertan, Cowboys, it's a need. It's match made in heaven. That's going to happen. And then Horn goes off at eight to the Panthers, and that was not at all a for sure thing. Panthers could have moved up. There was a lot of rumors of them taking somebody else. There's rumors of them taking a quarterback. They take Horn, and that's the first kind of huh pick in the whole thing. And then the Broncos are, should they take him? There's a lot of talk that they're not happy with Locke. They went out and got Teddy, all that good stuff. But then they take Sertan and Pip Cherry. Right. Jerry was just sitting there at 10, waiting for Sertan to be there. And all of a sudden it's gone. And he goes, well, hell, (laughs) I'll move (laughs) back. I'll take the picks. Right. And the whole NFC East starts duking it out. Right. They say, we'll give it to Philly. And then the Giants are thinking about moving up, um, you know, and Gettleman goes, meh, I'll move back. So really it got kicked off with Vic taking Sertan or Peyton, whoever you want to say. And then Jerry going, well, I guess I can move back. And then the whole NFC East starts to rumble and fields keep sliding. And at that point, when they took Sertan, I thought I did the quick math in my head and went, oh, man, like, oh, no. And you're checking the board. You're like, he's not. He is still there. What in the world? Like, Pace can do this. It's not that far. It, JB, let me let me ask you this, because I mean, and while we're talking about the Broncos, because there was one quote that really bothered me from Denver, yeah. because <laughs> I mean, so you've got Bridgewater and you've got, you know, Drew Locke and that you, in a division with Mahomes, Carr and Herbert and, and you have no quarterback and you've got a really good roster and if you don't think justin fields is the guy so you go patrick sertan that's that's fine i understand it that's that's your evaluation process i disagree with it but that's your evaluation process but to come out afterwards and say they really liked fields but they just like sertan more i don't know how you can justify taking corner over quarterback when that's your quarterback room I, I there okay. So I'm seeing this. You guys remember like having a bicycle and locking your bike up with one of those little tumbler locks, right? So you got oh, it's my combination seven, four, three, two, or whatever, right? That's what this was, but it was ten numbers to be able to unlock this Justin Field to the Bears, right? All you could make an argument every step of the way. Why did the Jets like Wilson over Fields? I think it's a mistake. Why did San Francisco not take Fields and they took Lance, a guy who has a lot more unknowns? The Falcons, should they have taken their quarterback of the future? They didn't. They decided to commit to, to, to Matt Ryan and that path. The Bengals, should they have taken, this was a big discussion on Twitter, should they have taken Penny Sewell, the offensive lineman, or should they have taken uh, Chase, which is what they, what they ended up doing? Because they did that, the Lions are sitting there happy to have Penny Sewell. They may have been willing to trade out of, of pick seven. Right. So that worked in the favor of the Bears to be able to take the tackle there. And then Carolina and the Broncos are very interesting because Carolina gets Sam Darnold from the Jets. So they feel like they're going to go on the reclamation project. Then they trade Teddy Bridgewater to the Broncos. So all of these dominoes that fell all along the way helped that tumbler line up 
to number 10. And that's when I started to get flop sweat because <laughs> pick 10, I thought the two corners that I think Dallas might take are gone. They could trade back because they, you know, there's, they've got a longer time window. They've got Dak already. They may be willing to take what pace is offering and they trade it, but they traded it to Philly. And I thought, okay, well, Philly's not coming up for a quarterback. I can't imagine that they would do that. And, and as it turns out, Philly takes the wide, the wide receiver that the Giants really liked. So the Giants are willing, and I think that this is important, they're willing to take future capital. And, of course, Dave Gettleman has never traded back in all of the eight drafts that he's ran for different clubs. So that was amazing in and of itself. But he was willing to take next year capital and the bears were able to save their second and third round picks, which obviously we'll get to later. But I, I think every step along the way could have broken a different direction very easily, but it, it was like a worm inside my mind for the last couple of days leading up to the draft that there was this path where things could take. Certainly I wouldn't have been able to make any money if I put bets on it. Cause then it all would have you know, gone to hell. But <laughs> it, there were these, these moments where you're like, if they do this, does that push this team out? And, you know, so it was a fascinating process. I have never been this locked in to a top 10 in any draft that I have ever followed. And EJ, well, uh, Jeff, Jeff brought up the, the, the San Francisco decision on Treyland. So I want to get your, put, put your, your draft analyst cap on here because and let's compare this to Trubisky, not not the players themselves, but but the experience, because when Pace traded up for Trubisky and forget whether he needed to move up to or not, just put that aside. But Trubisky was his guy. Of course, all we heard is this guy was going to need time. He's inexperienced. You know, he's only got he's only a one year starter. And then Trey Lance here at three, a lot different of a vibe about what Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch did compared to what uh, Pace did four years ago with Trubisky. Trey Lance has one lighter competition. And I'm saying the ACC is, is, is the SEC, but lighter competition than Trubisky faced and far less experience. I mean, even dating back to high school, he's got, you know, he's got less snaps in, in high school. I mean, this, this is a guy who's just, you know, you want to just call him a ball of clay and he's, he's got the, the, he's got the pieces there. That's, that's fine. But to take Trey Lance over Justin Fields at three, to me is really puzzling. Yeah, we were talking, there was a theme that was going around the Boule live stream and, and it came from chat. Actually, one of the, one of the chat watchers, you know, said, is this the most arrogant pick in draft history? And <laughs> both of us quickly said, no, like I said, look, a punter went in the first round in the seventies. So that's, if you want to talk about arrogant picks, if you think Ricky you Williams. Want, one punter away that's that's a pretty arrogant pick no there are many that i think that are more arrogant than that but uh it does you know i'm i'm not sure about the san francisco process in general and and we could do a whole nother podcast on that but they trade up to three and then there's like this whole thing about we know who we're taking uh we knew who we were taking but now it's closer we're still taking the same person but we're not sure and then the morning of the draft we haven't even mentioned this this one rocked my world. I got up and I hear, okay, San Francisco just threw the kitchen sink at Green Bay for the reigning MVP. And I was like, what? And people that don't follow football in my life were like, why is that weird? And I'm like, that would be like going to Tampa Bay and saying, hey, that Tom Brady guy, we know he came down and turned your whole city around and you won a Super Bowl with him, but do you want a bunch of picks? We'll take them. 
right? You don't do that, right? There's there's something there. You don't just put a random offer together like that and and pitch it at a club, uh, especially not when you trade it up with an intent to take somebody that was not Aaron Rodgers. That was not. And it's like the morning of that's how sure you are is now you're packaging stuff and throwing it at the wall to see if you can make it stick for the MVP. Like how sure about the guy that you want in the draft are you? And the answer is, well, not totally, or you wouldn't be doing that, right? You're not locked in. The Jets, notice the Jets didn't do anything through this process. They never said anything. Other people said, we think Wilson's their guy. They never said yes or no. They never said we're open for business. They did nothing. They were inert. They were a black hole, Sure. right? And so everybody just assumes like they're locked in. They're taking Wilson. They're not doing anything. They're not encouraging, discouraging. They're just quiet. San Francisco was the exact opposite of that. And now we find that on the tail end of the process that some of that was purposeful. And I don't, I don't think all of it was though. So the whole thing from when they traded up until the time they took Trey Lance was just a fascinating exercise because they did not do it like other clubs do it for sure. Yeah, no, that's like you said, that, that is a whole podcast worth of content on, on a lot of things, not, not just Trey Lance, but, but, but other things as well. So let's, let's, let's get into to fields here and, and, and the pick and, and everything here. We, we've done enough and I know bears fans are, are you know, they're mouth watering here for, for fields content. So let's, let's give it to them. Let's do, you know, you guys both kind of had that inkling. I had that inkling that this, this might just come together. And anyone who's listened to my podcast or, or followed me on Twitter here in the last four months, you know, and I'm getting, and I always say this, I'm not pretending to be Adam Schefter, but a couple of people I've talked to, the bears are swinging for a quarterback. They know what they need to do. They're swinging. They swung for Derek Carr. They, you know, they were poking around Carson Wentz. No one knows exactly how serious they were there, but Russell Wilson, we know. I mean, they made a big offer for Russell Wilson. They were doing anything they could to find a quarterback. So this pick does not surprise me. I think it surprised some Bears fans that that happened. It did not surprise me. But when the tweet comes down, I don't remember which Twitter account I saw first that had the trade that the Chicago Bears were moving up to number 11 with Dave Gettleman. Of all people, Dave Gettleman, Mr. I'll never trade back. And it's coming together. What was your excitement? JB, let's start with you. What was that excitement level? And were you concerned that Goodell was going to call Mac Jones, isn't it? You had to be concerned, right? Like there's, you, you know, we've had so much history with Ryan Pace that you just had to be elite. You had to see it happen. You had to see it flash on the screen. You had to hear it from the lips of the guy that was going to read the card. And of course, Goodell comes out and he's got four cards that he's reading. And I can't like, I can't pay attention. There's so much going on. My wife's asking me questions like, what's up? And I'm like, I think the franchise is changing, but I have to make sure. Like I was so like. <laughs> I was so freaking out. I, I don't actually know what the promotion was. I can't remember the guy's name. I, things are hazy and fuzzy around me. I, it was a real different experience. I had so much adrenaline going on that I think uh, it probably was a couple steps away from a, from a minor heart attack. That's, that's where I was at because I was so into this idea. And I, I've never felt this way about a draft. I have never felt this way about a Bears draft pick in my life. DJ, you lucky bugger, JB. I'm so sorry that you had to experience that because <laughs> I've gone through that for years and it's rough, but this one was different. We were on the live stream doing bootleg football 
And for those of us, for those that haven't stopped by the live stream, there's, there's a bit of a tradition that started last year of chat uh, messing with us because there's so many different feeds and people get it at all different times and delays and Twitter and, and people pip and picks and all that stuff. So you can't really trust what chat is typing in until you sort of see a preponderance of evidence that yes, indeed, that did actually happen. So the first thing start to pop up on chat that say, the Bears are trading and they know that I'm a hardcore Bears fan and, and Brett just switched his allegiance because he disavowed the Texans during the draft and, and he's now fully a Bears fan. He was a closet Bears fan before. But because of that, we were sort of aware that we were going to get messed with. And, and so we start to see these little leaks in chat. Oh, Bears are trading. Bears are on the clock. Bears are taking a pick. I'm like, no, guys, this isn't funny. Don't do this to me. Right. Don't <laughs> don't mess with me. And then and, and you're, it's Dave Gettleman. You're probably sitting there going, yeah, that, that, I, guys, I wasn't you don't sure. understand. Dave Gettleman doesn't trade down. Yeah, in the first it was really <laughs> after it got past 10, because I really thought 10 was like the sweet spot. And then it's after 10 and he's still on the board. So now I'm just kind of like, ho, 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 what's going on? You know, is there something? This is always what draft analysts think. Is there something we don't know? Is there a red flag in his folder? Is there a, you know, some pending legal matter? Is there some terrible injury that, you know, came out? We don't know, but I'm, I'm freaking out a little bit. I'm trying not to be distracted by chat. And then chat starts being solid, right? Bears are in, bears are in, bears are trading, bears are trading, bears are trading. And there's like 50 messages. And I'm like, and that's when I started to get a little bit light. I was like, well, I don't think they're kidding anymore. Like, I think this is real. And I'm just kind of sitting there waiting and then I'm thinking, I didn't think much about Mac Jones at that point because Fields was on the board. If it had been like Trey Lance and Mac, that would have been a different thing. But Fields is on the board. And I really, I paused for a minute and I had the same sort of notion that JB did. I was like, oh my God, they might do this. If they do this, I know what it means. I know what it means for the city. I know what it means for the team. I know what it means for Ryan Pace. Like I know what it means. And there was that first realization where I let myself, where I let my heart do that. And I was like, <gasps> and then it just explodes, right? Fields, 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 fields is in, fields the pick, you know, and I, you know, and then we got verification and Brett and I just looked at each other and a bunch of people screen capped it, but it was, it was pandemonium. It was euphoria. It was unbridled enthusiasm. Unbelievable. Yeah, I I, I don't know how you, you can't be thrilled if, if you're a Bears fan. I really don't. You know, I was I was actually on a radio show on Friday night and it's funny I bring this name up, but it was truly the last time I was this excited for a prospect was David Terrell. And I understand David Terrell didn't work out, <laughs> but I was I was so pumped for the David Terrell pick and this exceeds it. And I can't come up with another draft choice because I was not a big Rex Grossman guy. I was too young to know really anything about Jim Harbaugh at that point. I was a kid. I was just like, oh, it's the Michigan quarterback. Great. But like this there's Cade McNown, you know, same, same kind of thing. It just, you know, Mitch, I, there, there's always so much uncertainty around these, these picks. And this is the one where I'm sitting here going and, and EJ, like you said, there's gotta be like a red flag or something. I mean, this is a guy that just has to me, he just has it all. He's got the, the swagger you want. He's got speed. He's got skill. He's got an arm. I mean, and this is a guy in high school before he exploded on the recruiting scene was getting recruited by Duke Vanderbilt in the Ivy leagues. I mean, this is a really intelligent guy. He's everything that you need in a quarterback. I don't know how he was there, but the excitement for me was just, just over the top. 
And, you know, you know, JB, I'll turn it over to you here because like I, I brought up a lot of those names, right? The Harbaugh's yep. and the McNowns and everything. And it's like, I, this just feels different. And I can't put my finger on exactly why, other than the fact that he shouldn't have been there. And there he was. I think it's because you're not 80 years old. And I want to run through this with you guys. Okay. This is the history of first round quarterbacks for the Chicago bears, starting with Mitchell Trubisky and going backwards. Okay. 2017 Mitchell Trubisky two overall North Carolina, not exactly a guy that a lot of people knew about or watched 2003 Rex Grossman, Florida went 22nd overall. He was actually the second first round draft pick. The bears traded down that year. Excitement level wasn't exactly that high for him as a prospect. 1999, Cade McNown, 12th overall, UCLA. Chicago fans probably didn't want to watch a lot of Pac-12. 1987, Jim Harbaugh, 26th overall. Again, not exactly a top end of the draft. Jim McMahon, 5 overall. Now, that's a premium pick. That's high up. But BYU, not a lot of Chicago fans watching BYU games, smaller level competition. From 1982, you have to go all the way back to 1951 for a first-round quarterback. That's Bob Williams from Notre Dame, went second overall that year. Didn't do anything in the pros. What Won a national championship in Notre Dame. There was a lot of ties with the T-formation, man-in-motion system with Notre Dame into, into uh, Chicago at that time. 1948, Bobby Lane from Texas, Hall of Famer that eventually went on to the Lions. And you go to 1946 with Johnny Lujak, number four overall, the Golden Domer, the three-time national champion, the Heisman Trophy winner, Johnny Lujak had his own radio show. Johnny Lujak had swag for days. This is the biggest pick since Johnny Lujak. And of course, before that, there is, of course, Sid Luckman, who's the GOAT of, of all time. But I don't think that you can match the pedigree, the marketability, the excitement of what Justin Fields brings the Chicago Bears. You have to go all the way back to 1946, which none of us can. But I will say this. What do those guys all have in common that the three of us have in common? That they're all white guys. And we are not the right ones to comment on this. There will be others that will comment on this. But Justin Fields is an African-American taking over as franchise quarterback of the Chicago Bears is a really big deal. And I'm very happy for that as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled on all levels that you said. And, you know, I, I think, Jeff, I think you, you and I uh, of the Windy City Gridiron crew are really the ones and there's others as well i'm not saying we're the only ones but we're, we really love diving into history and kind of going through things and appreciate what sid luckman accomplished for the chicago bears but the fact is this was 70 years ago when he retired and i, and I know you brought up blue jack and lane and those really fell apart because of bad decisions from george hallis and that's that's absolutely another podcast in itself but i tweeted this out and it's it's a hyperbolic statement but i truly believe it I believe that the floor here for Justin Fields, and if, of course, if it falls apart, I'll, I'll just be crushed and become a puddle on the floor. The floor here is that he's going to be the best quarterback this franchise has seen in at least 70 years. I truly believe he's at that level. I had my questions about Trubisky and McNown and Grossman and, and those type of guys. Here I have just a level of confidence, EJ, that this guy is going to be a, at a skill set at the quarterback position that bears fans all living bears fans. I think at this point, because it's been 70 years, I think you can say all living bears fans have never, I think he's going to be the type of guy we have never experienced a quarterback skill set on our own team like fields has. 
No, I fully agree. And it's going to be interesting to watch it unfold. And you said you have confidence, right? And confidence born of demonstration, right? This isn't confidence that he will get there. This isn't confidence that, you know, he might grow into it. This is confidence based on I've seen this guy do it, right? I've seen this guy make the decisions. I've seen this guy make the throws. I've seen this guy take the hits. I've seen this guy win the big games against the guy that went number one overall, right? Fields and Trevor have been playing since high school, right? They've been running into each other since high school. And he's beat him head to head every time. Yet there was no consideration for him to be the first pick. And I think that's probably short-sighted. I think that's at least a conversation. It's not a slam dunk. Trevor's a great quarterback. But to say that Justin Fields is auto the second quarterback in this draft, I think is a little bit hasty. So this confidence is because you have seen him do all these things, not once, not twice, but a lot of times. And you've seen him rise up in big games. You've seen him take a tremendous shot, practically snapped him in half, come back with obvious detriment from that hit, throw a couple of more touchdowns, right? Lead his team to victory. Like these are all things that are demonstrated skills on tape that happen regularly. So it's not some kind of projection. Is there a jump from college to pros? Of course, for everyone, high round pick, low round pick, everybody's the big man on campus when you get to the pros. I get that. But Justin Fields has done it over and over again at the highest level, at levels that Bears fans have not seen from a quarterback probably ever. You can. I got a lot of pushback about Cutler. A, the Bears didn't draft Cutler. And B, Cutler was exceptional in some areas, and average in lots of others. And that averaged out to being average overall as a quarterback. And we can argue about that ad nauseum. Justin Field comes in with a floor within the first couple of seasons of being at least that good and going up from there. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. And you're right. Bears fans are flat out not used to it. You said something, EJ, that kind of triggered something in my mind here. And Trubisky was kind of an aw shucks kind of guy. I'm a work hard guy. Aw shucks. Thanks for being here. Uh, Cutler was don't care. That's the meme. Don't care. Smoking Jay on the sidelines. Not a very good leader. Grossman was F it. I'm going deep. Right. That was his, how it is his thing. Wasn't a well-rounded quarterback. Fields looks like a guy so far. This is mine. I belong here. I'm going to burn this mother down. That's what I get from him is that he is in control and he is a guy that is focused on taking over the league. Yeah, no, he's super alpha. Like the, he was at Ohio State. You saw it in the big games. And that's the thing is big games mean a lot to scouts, to players, because you can do it against, you know, Duke and Vandy and Coastal Carolina, Ag and Tech. But when you get in there and you know everybody's watching, it's the only game on, it's, you know – these days, the national championship and the run-up to it, you know every football player in the country is watching you, high school, college, pro. Like, every football player is watching. What's he going to do? That's a ton of pressure. I don't care who you are. And Justin Fields has always been exactly that. Bring it on. I got it. No, guys. My ball. Let's go. Yeah, leader, alpha, swagger, whatever whatever term you want to use, he has it, and I – I do think that's that that's something that's that's different. And I, 
you know, I feel like this is where we're finally on the opposite end. You know, we take Trubisky, Mahomes and Watson go behind, obviously go on to great careers. I think there were a lot of Bears fans in 2005 that were, no one knew he was going to be this good, but were intrigued by Aaron, Aaron Rodgers. But the Bears went Cedric Benson because they took Rex Grossman two years earlier. And they had Thomas Joe. Uh, we can't even get into the 2005. I can't deal with it. That's a bad rabbit hole. <laughs> but it finally feels like we're on the other side where all these other teams made the mistake and the bears pounce. And I, I think that's finally where we are. And, and that brings me kind of to the, the fallout in, in, in essence, in a good way about this Justin field selection, because to me, and I, I tweeted this out, I think at a minimum after this season, almost certainly, and unless fields is Dwayne Haskins. And I, when I say Dwayne Haskins, I don't mean because he's an Ohio state quarterback. I just mean of a first round pick, Josh Rosen, you want to throw that in there that just showed nothing out of the gate basically. And, and the teams just quit on it, quit on it early and, and just knew kind of that there was a problem there. As long as that doesn't happen, I don't see any way that Pace and Nagy are not extended at the end of the year. Maybe it's only like two years. Maybe they don't do a full commitment and just give them a couple more years here. But there's only way this goes one of two ways to me. One, Andy Dalton turns the clock back about three or four years, has a really good groove with Laser and Nagy, plays all or most of the season. And if that happens, the Bears are sitting there probably 11 and six, something like that. Or Dalton struggles. And this is kind of a Mike Glennon Trubisky situation where, you know, three, four, five, six games into the season, we see Justin Fields and Fields hopefully shows what we all expect him to show where even if the record at the end of the year is eight and nine, seven and 10, that pace and Nagy will sit there when they sit down with George and say, but we have the quarterback and we still have all these other players. Now we just have to build the roster around this guy. And I think they get extensions. So to me, this selection EJ of Justin Fields guarantees pace and Nagy are going to be around here for at least another three years. I would say so. I, as soon as the selection got made, it's, it's sort of happy, sad. And the biggest, you know, 90% is happy, right? Because I've said it over and over again, JB and I talk about this all the time. You don't have a quarterback in this league. You're not going anywhere. You might flirt with it. You might make a deep run late. You might be the Cinderella story. That's great. You're not going to win consistently in the NFL without a quarterback that can put up points. That's it. If you have one, great. You do whatever you can to protect that guy, build the team around him, like you said. If you don't have one, you take shots endlessly until you do, because it is the most important thing, which makes the whole Denver decision endlessly fascinating, right? Oh, we had a corner and a quarterback rated the same. Um, We'll go corner. No, <laughs> you don't have your quarterback yet. You might, but you're not sure you do. You do whatever you can. You take as many shots. So as soon as Justin Fields is in the barn and he's a Chicago Bear, I find it very difficult unless something abysmal happens that Pace and Nagy are out the door. And I'm talking about 0-17. I'm talking about you know 2-15 and 15 with mass chaos in the locker room. Like they lose organizational control, something like that. Other than that, almost no matter what happens, with Justin Fields, he's going to play at a decent level. And like you said, maybe Dalton starts and he's okay for a while. I would hope he makes it at least six games just to let the offensive line gel. Cause there's going to be some new parts there, like get that solid and then bring Justin into that. That seems kind of ideal to me. See what you've got. 
But I don't see any way short of complete and sort of apocryphal collapse that Pace and Nagy aren't around for at least two, if not three more years, because everything fell right and one player went to 11. I, I'm i going to burn this. I haven't, I've, I've sat on this for a couple of years. I'm going to burn it. Um, when we went to camp in 2019, I sat next to a longtime beat reporter. We had a conversation and I have not revealed much of that conversation. <laughs> I'm going to reveal this now. He said that George McCaskey loves Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. He believes he's cracked the code and he, George McCaskey wants to be one of those owners that has a long-term stable organization with a stable front office, with a head coach that's there. He wants to be the Steelers. That is what George McCaskey wants. And he believes deep down that these are the guys. That is how they survived last year. Otherwise, with the moves that Ryan Pace made, I don't know how he would have survived that with any other relationship than one that's really good. And so all of the goodwill that this pick, even if you got lucky, that's fine. All of the goodwill that you have bought tells me that McCaskey has recommitted to these guys already. It's going to be very difficult for me to see a scenario where this goes off the rails at this point. And JB, I I think you're right there. I do think there is, I mean, look, they let Ryan pace, forget just the football team. I mean, the amount he invested in the house hall and and the re the construction and, and, and the rework and everything he's done. I mean, they, really invested in Ryan Pace on and off the field. And, and Nagy has, you know, as you know, he, look, he's, I think he's a really good CEO head coach. We've all talked about some of the offensive deficiencies that hopefully he's learning from. And I think that's the one thing we all have to keep in mind about Pace and Nagy. And maybe they're the guys that George expects and maybe they aren't, but guys learn on the job and get better. And that's what you have to hope with these guys, because Look, there are certain things that Ryan Pace does well. If you want to talk and compare his success in early day three, fourth, fifth rounds compared to I'll put him up against any GM in the league with the kind of success he's had there. You want to talk about, you know, he never has a third round pick because he trades him away. Basically, that's fine. You want to talk about some of the deficiencies he's had in the first round? I'm not saying he's flawless. His salary cap management, is, there's been plenty of questions there, but he does things well. There are certain things that Matt Nagy does well. And if they can grow, I mean, let's remember that Bill Belichick was fired from the Cleveland Browns and has gone on to become probably the greatest head coach in NFL history and maybe in sports history. So people get better and that's, that's gotta be the hope here. Um, But that aside, because I want to get to some other things here, we've been talking this for a while and I want to get to a couple more things. JB, let's ask you to jump into the head of Allen Robinson, right. which is impossible to do because you watch him tweet and he's a little bit of an enigma in terms of what he wants and what he says. But with Justin Fields present, do you think the Bears could, and this would relieve some of their salary cap problems for this year, can they work out a long-term deal with Allen Robinson and keep him in Chicago with Justin Fields at the helm? So this is the next move, right? This is the move that Ryan Pace has to make because he has to get underneath the salary cap and sign this rookie class and have enough money to be able to operate on a standard season because he has $440,000 or something like that under the cap. So something has to happen. Allen Robinson has a, what, $16, $18 million hit right now. 
And if you are able to extend him for a few years, give him the money that he has earned, he has richly deserved a new contract. You're able to do that. You guarantee enough money that you spread it out over the life of the contract. Ryan Pace is full into void years at this point. He'll attack on a couple more void years to be able to get that cap number down. He could solve a lot of his problems right now if he's able to get Allen Robinson to sign an extension. If you're Allen Robinson, obviously you want to get paid, but you also want to be thought of as one of the best receivers in the league because that's quite frankly what he is. And what you have to have to be able to be considered that is a good quarterback. The Bears just went out and got one. Andy Dalton's already going to be the best quarterback that throws to Allen Robinson in his professional career or in his life, I guess. Justin Fields is certainly going to be the best once he takes over. So in my mind, the Bears may have solved multiple problems because they now have the best bargaining chip that they have with, with Allen Robinson, and that is we're going to make you a star. You and Justin Fields, take us to the promised land. EJ, Allen Robinson, should he sign the extension like JB wants, or should he play out the year, see what he's got with Fields, and see where everything is in January? Absolutely depends on whether money is the most important thing, and I would doubt it is for a guy that's played as long as Allen Robinson. He's made a bunch of money. I'm not saying he shouldn't make all the money he possibly can because careers are short. Go for that. But if money is the most important thing, you wait because he can go get big money, salary cap's going to go up next year, whatever else. If something else is more important to him, whether it's personal stats, professional success, uh, legacy, whatever that is, he's got a shot now. He had no shot before. Chicago is completely rudderless at quarterback, and if you're a wide receiver, you are completely dependent on that. They now have two quarterbacks that are better than anybody he's ever played with. He can start with Dalton and move on and grow with fields. That should be pretty attractive to him. If he wants to be the bears all time receiving leader, he can do that fairly easily in two to three years with decent quarterback play. He can be revered in the city of Chicago. If that's his thing, he should sign the extension because that helps the team. It gets him his money and he's got a very good path to success, right? He even has kind of a succession plan, right? If Andy Dalton's knee gives out for some reason, hey, Justin Fields is there. I'm not left in the lurch. That's a very different picture than it was three months ago. So unless money is a number one alpha, the most important thing, he should probably sign the extension. Uh, and, and I'm with you guys. I think he should sign the extension. I have a hunch, though, he's going to still play this out and try and wait until – after the season, I hope I'm wrong because I do know Allen Robinson likes Chicago. The amount of times he said, not just the team, but the city itself. Um, but the JB's right. I mean, they've only got a few hundred thousand, whether that's cutting Jimmy Graham or cutting Akeem Hicks or extending Jimmy Graham, what, you know, whatever. There, there's there's ways they can get money, but the extension of Allen Robinson is the, absolutely the most attractive one. So before we take a break, let's just do quick. 30-second final thoughts. Justin Fields is a Chicago Bear. EJ, go. Hope. JB said it at the top. There was none before. There is now. And you cannot put a price on that. Again, that's everybody in the franchise, everybody in the city that roots for the Bears. There was none before, and there is now. And that is a sea change, period. Still guarantee that this can work out, but he has single-handedly restored interest, confidence, and enthusiasm in the Chicago Bears. I've not seen it this high since Erlacher left. Yeah, I, I'm with you guys. The hope, the confidence, everything is there now. 
for the Chicago Bears, for the fan base to be, in, you know, enthusiastic with this team. I think when Justin Fields, and I do expect him to step on the Soldier Field turf at some point this season, when he steps on that turf, he will be the biggest icon in Chicago sports since at least Derrick Rose, and you might even have to, you know, Brian Urlacher, I think he can be above that. He will be at that level when he steps on the field. Forget if he has a Russell Wilson-type successful career. He can be that good. So we're going to take a break. When we get to the other side of that break, the Bears banter over beers crossover event continues. We'll talk about Tevin Jenkins and the offensive line. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, welcome back into the podcast. Bill Zimmerman here, JB and EJ along with me on our crossover event. Let's get to the second round here. We spent plenty of time on Justin Fields and and well-deserved and, and I brought this up, the Windy City Gridiron uh, comments from a couple of weeks ago, the, the uh, roundtable about how I wanted Justin Fields. And if that didn't work out, I listed three offensive linemen that I would have taken at 20. And one of those guys is Tevin Jenkins. If he was available and the Bears didn't get fields, I would have taken him at 20. Great value in the second round, EJ. What was your thoughts when the Bears traded up for Jenkins? Well, I was hoping that that was their trade-up target. Uh, I wasn't wild about the trade-up, but for Jenkins, I'll make an exception because, again, we all thought Jenkins was terrific as a player, as a fit in the offense, and as a value at 20. There was a lot of talk that he wouldn't even be there at 20. A few whispers the day before about a hip injury, some phantom other issues that I poked around, didn't get any hits back on. So I'm not going to put any stock in those because there's a lot of those that float around, but Jenkins, the player in terms of on field is a perfect match to step in the void left by Bobby Massey, be a starting right tackle with a punishing demeanor from day one. Bears fans are going to love him. He plays extremely hard. He is very adept at driving guys' faces into the dirt. He's going to keep that up. Um, Long reach, very strong hands, tons of rotational torque from the body, and all of those things uh, add up to a guy that is playing at a high level right now, was definitely one of the top offensive tackles in the draft, and can step in as a day-one starter and fill a, a gaping need for the Bears. JB? EJ, what was your, where did you have him ranked in, in terms of your tackles? 
Uh, I had him at, oh, that's a good question. I want to say three. Okay. Um, I rank my tackles left and right uh, based on what they've played in college, not necessarily what they could play in the pros. Yes, I had him at three behind Sewell and Slater. Okay, so the Bears, we talked about it. We just, let's cover the compensation. So the Bears traded their second, their third, and one of their six rounders to get up to pick 39 with the Carolina Panthers. And they also get a fifth rounder back. Uh, the pre-draft process, you know, I dive in enough to basically know about 100 names. That That's sort of my level of involvement because you go to the 250 range and that's too much time for me. But I always have these guys that just sort of form as these, oh man, I would really like to see this guy wear navy and orange. And the first player, the first non-quarterback, I should say, that I was like, this guy should wear navy and orange was Tevin Jenkins. He just stuck out to me as a guy that would potentially be available with the 20th overall pick and a guy that would bring something that I think that the offensive line could use. And that's that nasty streak. We talked about it on Bears Over Beers where – this guy has the size of a Keith Van Horn, but he's got the attitude of Olin Krutz. And I was like, let's go. Like, th- this is the guy, and he's already winning hearts and minds on Bears Twitter. Uh, he, this guy's all in. He's going to be a fan favorite. My mom texts me, and she goes, do I get a Justin Fields jersey or do I get a Tevin Jenkins jersey? I'm not sure yet. Like, she's bought into both of these guys already. And, and I think that that is a, a wonderful thing. And I, the more you read, Brandon Thorne, who you had on bootleg, uh, your bootleg show with Brett, he had Jenkins as offensive tackle number two. He liked him that much. Anywhere you look, he was a top four offensive tackle. And that was absolutely a need. We talked about it five times. They have to come out of this draft with an offensive tackle. They had to. And they did, and they got one of the best. And I am extremely excited to see what he can do to this offensive line. Yeah, and here's my thoughts on Tevin James. That's right. It's a two-beer podcast because I'm that excited. And you guys laid it out there. He is that level of a prospect and he brings the nasty that the Chicago bears offensive line didn't have the kind of nasty that Juan Castillo wants his offensive lineman to have. And that had been, been lacking there. And, you know, there's a scene in the blind side, the, the, the story of Michael Orr, where, you know, he's getting beat in his first game by a pretty mediocre defensive lineman. And he finally snaps and he just gets into his pads and he drives him like 50 yards and dumps him over the wall. Like that's Tevin Jenkins to me. That's the guy who doesn't just want to be technically sound and beat his guy and do the proper block. That is all David Montgomery needs. He wants to punish his guy. He wants his guy to know in the first quarter that he's, He's on top of him so much that in the fourth quarter, when the when the legs are dragging, that he's going to physically dominate the guy. That's the attitude he has. Just doing the block isn't enough. He wants to finish blocks all the time. He's got the attitude. I'm that excited for him to be part of this roster. Now, what I and, and you know, I'm going to bring this up here. I put a poll question up over the weekend in terms of what I thought the Bears offensive line could be. I gave two options and one of those options included Charles Leno. Now, full disclosure, we actually recorded this podcast on Sunday and and decided to delay the release of this just so we could get this in here because we've got breaking news on a Monday. Charles Leno is going to be released. Ian Rappaport had it first. Brad Biggs is saying it's going to be June 1st, which opens the door up for $9 million in cap savings. So we, we talked about it. The Bears needed to make a move 
to create some cap space. And it's going to be Charles Leno. JB, I want to start with you because I know you're a Charles Leno supporter. Charles Leno on the chopping block, not going to be a part of the 2021 Chicago Bears. What was your reaction? That's a little surprise. I think that was not the way that I would have done this. I wouldn't have handled this. I like the way the line set up. If you kept Leno at left tackle this year, allowed him to go into a fresh free agency period in 2022. Hopefully he would get a nice contract. You'd be able to set yourself up for a comp pick with Leno leaving. You would also give Jenkins the year to establish at the right tackle position, which is a little easier on a rookie. Instead, it looks like as right now, you're going to have Jenkins kind of start off at, at left tackle. But let me just say 93 straight starts for Charles Leno. Seventh round pick made good. He was always available, which is an incredibly important trait for an offensive lineman. Uh, you know, average play. Sometimes he'd be a little above average, had a very good 2018. Uh, really appreciate Charles Leno Jr. on this on this football club. EJ, I want you to jump in on Charles Leno, but I want to also want to ask you, Jenkins feels like a right tackle to me, but Juan Castillo and Matt Nagy, I, I think this is clear cut. He They see him as their left tackle for the next 10, 12 years. Do you like Jenkins as a left tackle? I like him as a left tackle. I like him a little bit more as a right, but that designation is becoming a little bit outdated because the best rushers will switch to whichever is the weakest tackle on an opposing squad. So you have to be a good pass protector on the left. You have to be a good pass protector on the right these days. If they believe that Jenkins can play left, I think he can. He has traits there. It is an adjustment. He played most of his time at OSU on the right, not all of it. But that's a big adjustment for a rookie. We talked about adjustments for rookies anyways. You're just putting more on his plate. And and moreover, I think this sort of signals that Pace and Nagy are not on a one-year leash. This is not the kind of move you would make for stability moving into 2021. This is the kind of thing you're going to let Jenkins grow at left tackle, probably going to bring fields in at some point to see what you've got. And that means that the 2021 season in terms of wins and losses might not look as good as some Bears fans might like, but there's no way you do that. There's no way you add that uncertainty if you think you're on a one-year leash. This means Pace and Nagy are here for a while. As far as Leno, wildly outperformed his draft spot. I always appreciated him because he continued to improve and grow. He did sort of plateau a couple of years ago, but like JB said, always available, played hard. Did he get beat sometimes? For sure. Is he, you know, a great left tackle? No, we never said he was. Is he a very serviceable, functional, average left tackle, which is a really valuable piece on a football team? Yes, he was. I I agree with both of your guys' sentiments there. And EJ, you brought up something that I hadn't thought of with this move, and that's the you know, the security of Pace and Nagy, you're hundred percent right. You don't make this, this is a 2022 move. This is not a 2021 move. So this is them really looking at the future. And, and look, I, I, I respect that. And I understand that. And this is not a team that's winning the Super Bowl this season. We, I think we, we all understand that, that they're, they're building to something. So you, you can even make the argument for then, if this is what we're looking at, for cutting a Jimmy Graham or cutting an Akeem Hicks to clear, maybe both, to clear up cap space and roll it into 2022 and make yourself more aggressive as a, as a free agency suitor. But, but that aside, and looking at this season as, as a guy who, who enjoys watching offensive line play, my first reaction is frustration because – I look at this offensive line with, with Leno and Jenkins and, and, and on either end and going, all right, I think this offensive line is going to be improved 
Now I look at this and go with this. I don't think this offensive line has improved. This offensive line is, you know, the same that they were at the end of last season, maybe even a little worse. We don't know exactly how well Jenkins is going to be immediately as a rookie. To me, I'm frustrated because, you know, I, I look when I put out that poll, Leno, Whitehair, Daniels, Effetti, and Jenkins, I felt was the best offensive line. That's out the window. Effetti is going to be starting at right tackle. I see a lot of fans' instant reaction on Twitter that Effetti, you know, could go to the bench and they'll, they'll go out there and sign someone like Fisher or Schwartz or someone like that. I, I don't see anything like that happening, JB. I think Effetti, I think you can use Penn and put him as the right tackle for the 2021 Chicago Bears. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be a good idea to bring in another veteran tackle with what you have now for depth. But I think that you're right. I think that their intention is to start Jenkins at, at the left and, and Effetti at the right. And, and it, what you're saying, you know, if you were to rank the offensive linemen for the Bears, you would say Whitehair is their best offensive lineman. Daniels is their second best offensive lineman. You hope that Jenkins is going to come in and he's going to establish himself at maybe the three, you know, as better than Charles Leno right away. And maybe he can improve to being better than those guards. But again, you take out Leno, who would be my next slot. Uh, and, and now you have a Fetty who's, I think, worse than Charles Leno. And so now you've made the line worse, right? I mean, it, like just that move makes the line worse. You've taken out a piece and you've replaced it with someone who's just not as good. And now it does clear some things up though, right? Like we do know that Afedi's not going to be a guard and you're going to put Daniels at center. At least that's, that's how I'm reading it. You're going to put a at right tackle Daniels and Whitehair are going to be your guards. And they're going to go into this season with Mustafer with the job to lose at center. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's a hundred percent, right. Uh, EJ, do you agree that Mustafer is now pretty much locked in at the center? And let me ask you one other one. If Justin Fields does get out on the field this year, which I think most of us expect, now we've got a rookie and a Fetty instead of Leno and a rookie and the rookies playing in the, you know, potentially the position he's not as comfortable with on the left side. We saw Joe Burrow get crunched last season and, and was lost for the year about halfway through the season is potentially making your line worse in hopes that you're making it better in the future. A smart move with a rookie QB. Well, if you're going to play Justin Fields, I'd say no, I'd say the bears line, as it stands right now, heading into 2021 is better than that Bengals line that got Burrow absolutely mauled. So it's a there's a better shot there. Fields is more mobile than Burrow, but you don't want to see him get hit a lot. So again, this kind of speaks to maybe they're going to run Dalton as long as they can, see if that works, and maybe bring Fields in late, or ideally if Dalton goes on a run, maybe not until the end of the season or really at all. And, and given that year of seasoning, I don't think he necessarily needs it, but I also don't want to see him out there behind a developing offensive line. I would have rather, rather given him every opportunity to succeed. The other point is, yeah, Mustafer's locked in for now, but there, you know, Leno's going to be a June one cut. There are going to be other cuts that come because people either got who they wanted in the draft or go into free agency and need to shuffle some payroll. That's going to happen. Some people will be available. So I think Mustafer goes in. I don't think Bars is a candidate at center. So the Bears really don't have anything better on the roster right now. But that doesn't mean that come, you know, post June 1st that they couldn't pick up somebody that slips. I'm thinking about the Josh Sitton move from years ago when Green Bay released him. That kind of thing could happen. But as of right now, yeah, I think Mustafer is probably not penned, but penciled in as the starting center. 
Yeah, I, I think uh, I think we're all in consensus there. And, and JB, let me ask you this, because I know, you know, you mentioned it earlier about how you always loved how Leno was available and, and really outperformed his seventh round status. But underappreciated is the word I think of with Charles Leno, because, look, we, we it, it's hard to sit there and pound your fist on the table for an average tackle. But when the narrative is the word sucks, that's <laughs> it's attached to Charles Leno's name all the time. And, and I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was a few people on, on sports talk radio or whatever who, who just got critical and it blew up from there. I don't know if it's because sometimes he got penalties in bunches. You know, he, of course, he got beat sometimes by an elite defender. But what was it about Charles Leonard, do you think, that just got fans irked in such a way that, you know, like I said, he just became really underappreciated because this is a guy who was a good piece and not not amazing. No one's going to sit here and say he was great. You know, yeah, is it, you know, outperformed his salary, I think, in a lot of ways and just never got any credit for what he did to this Bears offense for this Bears offensive line. It, you know, the boss man, Lester, he has this little chart and it says, is this guy an all pro? Yes. Then he's great. No. Then like he, you know, the next question is, is he a gritty outperformer? And it's like, yes, then he's great. If no, he sucks. Right. There's like this very middle, there's no middle ground for a lot of evaluations for, for a lot of fans. And the weird thing about Leno is that he is the guy that outperformed. He was the underdog that came in and made good. And so it's, it's a disconnect in my mind. It doesn't make sense to me why fans haven't embraced him. And the only thing that I can figure out is that Leno is a guy that plays the game within himself. And he's not a guy that shows a ton of outward emotion. He may not be the guy that has that typical nasty streak that we all love about Tevin Jenkins as a prospect. And I think that some people that think that you have to have that as an offensive lineman feel that that makes him not as good as he could be. I believe strongly that you do not have to have that to be a successful offensive lineman. And there are plenty of examples that have bronze busts in the hall of fame that would uh, also agree with me that you don't have to have that nasty streak to, to be a successful offensive lineman, but I can't figure it out because he should be a guy that bears fans really appreciate. Yeah. I, I'm with you, EJ, any, any thoughts on that or any uh, final thoughts here on, on this I don't want to call it a bombshell, but quite <laughs> surprising news that that hit us here today before we move off it. Yeah, I want to say thanks to Charles Leno. He was a tremendous bear, available, played hard, uh, worked hard to improve, provided a lot of really good protection for Bears quarterbacks. And there have been many that have played behind him. So, uh, you know, he'll be missed from that standpoint. As far as why fans saw him that way and not the way I think they should as a very solid performing offensive tackle. And quite frankly, of value, we didn't really talk about that. You said you alluded to it a little bit that he not only outperformed his draft status, he outperformed his contract status. Go try and sign, you know, a good to, you know, above average left tackle for what he made. You can't do it. That was one of Pace's great extensions. So maybe it was that he existed in this weird realm where he didn't have draft pedigree, right? Came in late in the draft. So that's that gritty underdog status. But then he got paid. He got paid at a very reasonable rate and took what you could consider a team-friendly deal. But maybe that changed his status in the minds of fans saying, hey, this guy's been extended now, they believe. And look, with any player you want, I don't care whether it's a quarterback, an offensive tackle, a cornerback, you can go grab a bunch of plays 
and show where they got beat or should have been beat or got away with one. And if you put two or three of those together and say, hey, this just this guy just got paid and you show three clips where he didn't have his best rep. We all know that about offensive line, right? If you have a perfect game, nobody talks about it. If you have one or two mistakes, everybody piles on. And after he got paid, it seemed to amp up a little bit that like, okay, well, now this guy's real. He's our left tackle, you know, incarnate. This is the guy that's going to be there. And now I can start putting up these clips of him playing average football, which he was doing before and which is greater than his draft status. But suddenly it carries a little bit more weight. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm like JB. I'm a little bit confused. I, oh, I never understood the sort of ire that was directed at a guy that I thought was playing, you know, good average football. Well, EJ, since we're talking offensive line, let's talk about the Bears fifth round pick Larry Borum. And let's go to the expert here. This guy kind of has that that nasty edge to him too. I think that I think a lot of Bears fans could like what what you know Bears fans is a fifth round pick. A lot of guys you know they they didn't know the name until the name was called. So what can you tell the fans about Borum? Yeah, Borum is a big dude, and you know offensive lineman. You'd say, of course he is. EJ he plays offensive line. No, he's a big dude for even offensive linemen. We're talking about guys six four, almost six five. 322 as of his pro day test probably played closer earlier in the season to 335 and is just i call him the incredible absorbing man because he is big into catch trap which for those of you that don't know means he stands up gets outside puts his very large arms out waits for you to come into the net and then basically goes go ahead try and move me it's not going to work um, he might get pushed back a few steps. He often does, but that's about where it stops. And then it's just kind of a stalemate. It's not super pretty. Uh, if you're looking for like great technique, his first couple steps in the kick step are pretty good. If he has to open and chase after that, because his lateral agility isn't all that great. Um, he's again, using that length and just that big body to try and push and redirect Um doesn't get a lot of movement in the run game, but he's very good in the zone run game, getting his hips around and basically walling people off. And if you're trying to fight your way through 6'5", 330, you're probably not making a play on the other side of that because you kind of have to go around him, even if he's just standing there. So he's got some good movement skills in a straight line. He's got a huge frame, wide arms, um, not super strong in the upper body. And you see that sometimes. He just kind of grabs, hugs, holds on, uh, sort of sticks to people uh he's gonna have to improve that but other than that he's fast in a straight line um lateral agility is not great but overall he doesn't get beat that often so i think he's a guy that can really develop give him a year of strength and conditioning really work on shoulders uh work a little bit on leverage sometimes he's a little bit high with his punch stands up too much and with a guy that tall he can get sort of bent um but overall you know, a guy, like you said, if you're looking to bring in quality depth, guys at a, a low amount of cost control that have upside and you can see a path to their future as a backup, as a versatile guy that might play left or right. Um, you know, Borum is a solid, solid grab where they got him. Is this a guy you say will definitely be tackle position is this a guy you think they might want to push inside where, where, where do you think Borum falls on the NFL game yeah that's a really good question we talk with Brandon Thorne about this because it is one of the things people say if you're not long enough or good enough or whatever enough at tackle oh you're a guard 
And he takes issue with that. And, and I do as well. Um, the thing that would work against Borum at guard is that lack of upper body strength for sure. When you're trying to take on bulls who are 320, 330 in their own right, um, and also have great hand use as they do in the pros, um, you know, I think back to Boulder, I'm thinking they, they throw exploding breaking stuff in the show, right? You're going to see stuff from tackles you didn't see, um, defensive tackles. So I don't think he's a guard. Um, the quickness is good, but not great. And when the space gets compressed at guard, you need to be incredibly quick. I think he's better using that big frame in space and having a little bit of cushion to sort of be pushed back a couple steps towards the quarterback and still be okay. That's really his game. So I don't think he's a natural transition to guard. I think he either makes it a tackle or he just doesn't make it. All right. And and before we get off the kind of the offensive line and get into some of the other day three picks, we kind of reference this a little bit, JB, but, but I kind of want to get your thoughts on this. You know, you, you talked about the trade and what they gave up and, you know, they, they got the fifth, sixth round swap, but this was mostly, you know, giving up a third rounder to get Jenkins. You know, now I, I put out a tweet that said, look, I like this Jenkins pick. This was a good value. I'm not complaining about this pick, but the Ryan Pace trade up situation where we keep not having enough swings. And I got fans telling me, well, it doesn't matter if you only have a few swings as long as you hit on them. But over the course of a decade, you're just not going to hit on it. I mean, we were all geeked for Anthony Miller, and now he's sitting here getting shopped around for a third day, you know, a day three pick. Like, if there's no sure thing with these guys, and Pace continues to do it. I said, again, and I will focus on this. I am not complaining about the trade-up for Jenkins. I thought, and, and especially when you saw how the tackles went off the board pretty quickly thereafter, Pace read the board rightly, and he, he, he made the right decision. But we know why this team's been lacking depth the last few years. There just have not been enough draft picks, especially in those fourth, fifth rounds. Where are you on how Ryan Pace – I will never, and I will never complain about trading up for a quarterback. Let me say that right now, that position is too important. But where are you with how Ryan Pace handles draft days here now that we're, what, about six years into the Ryan Pace era? So it's fascinating, right? So a lot of people like to reference the different charts, right? Jimmy Johnson chart started it all, and then you've got a Chase Stewart chart, and then our friend Brad Spielberger, he has a chart out from his uh, OTC yep. days. Right? So there's all these yep. different charts out there where you say, like, well, look, the Bears overpaid for this draft pick or the Bears, I, you know what, that's a rule of thumb. And if it, it's just to get some sanity when you're when these teams are trying to make trades. I if, if it's within the ballpark, I don't care about that. What I care about are what what is it? What are you actually doing? What's the strategy? What's what's the board look like? So in a vacuum, like you said, trading up for a quarterback, trading up for Mac Jones, that wouldn't have made me very happy trading up for a guy like Fields can change the franchise. I don't care that they overpaid by the by the charts. Don't care. It was absolutely the right thing to do. I loved it. In a vacuum, Tevin Jenkins trade. Good trade by the chart. Good trade for the team. Incredible need, incredible value there. Tevin Jenkins had a first round grade from everybody. He's there in the second. That happens every year. You get up, you go up and get him. Great. In a vacuum, those trades are are just fine and I have no problems with them. When you do that time after time, though, you you limit yourself on the amount of depth that you're able to create in the roster. You limit yourself on cost-controlled contracts 
for those players as well. So now you have to go out on the free agency market. You have to go out into the veteran market and you're going to pay a little bit more of a premium to get those guys, or you're going to lose continuity in your locker room because you're signing one-year contracts and you're hoping to get by and catch up at some point. EJ and I have talked about this a lot. At what point does Ryan Pace pivot to a different mentality where he starts to embrace the idea of trading down, accumulating picks, and taking more shots at these guys. Every year, I look at the second and third rounds, and I think, I wish we had three picks in each round. There are so many valuable players on valuable contracts in that second and third round range that you would love to see more of them. And so for me, you now have your quarterback. In the next draft, you don't have a first round pick, but in the next draft, are you going to pivot to try and start trading down and start filling that depth and, and building the roster out into the future? Or are you going to tiger don't change the stripes and you're going to keep doing Ryan Pace things? I, I've been asking the question every single year that Ryan Pace has been here. And I'm wondering now if, if Fields shows out, if he changes the way he, he approaches business. I'd love to see him change, but I do think at this point, it's probably this is who Ryan Pace is. EJ, do you agree with Jeff or do you agree with me? Uh, I agree with Jeff on strategy and we see this and an interesting point that you brought up earlier was uh, when you were talking about the Panthers and I don't remember if it's you or JB, but he said, Oh, they committed to Darnold. And the one thing that I picked up, this is one of those things that draft watchers will do. If you watched what the Panthers did in the draft, they don't believe in Darnold a whip, <laughs> right? If Darnold works out, that's great. They traded down like, four times in this draft and they took future assets in a bunch of those. They are war chesting picks for next year. If Darnold works out great, no problem. If he doesn't sunk cost buy, we're picking a quarterback because we traded down four times last year. Every time we're like, well, there's five guys here. We want, will we move back 10 picks likelihood still get one of those five? Yeah, we'll take the pick. Go ahead. They did it over and over and over again. And to me, that signals very clearly that Carolina is massing up assets for next year. And, and you know, Darnold knows that, right? Quarterbacks aren't stupid. It's you better show out because if you don't, we got all these picks and we're going to take the pick of the litter and he's going to have your job. So I'm with JB that now that you got your quarterback, maybe you can pivot. I would have liked to see more picks in the middle rounds because there was a lot of talent hanging out. This was an odd year. A bunch of stuff pushed down in the middle rounds. Bears absolutely could have come away with a starting safety next to Eddie Jackson in those rounds. There was guys that got pushed down there. It, you just never know. But if you don't have the picks, you get these big gaps. And we're very used to this as Bears fans, these deserts, right? Yeah. Where you go 80 picks, you go 100 picks, you go 120 picks without a choice. A lot of talent leaves the board, and it's because of previous decisions. Yeah, and and I think you know what what we talked about here in the last few minutes can be summed up pretty quickly in a tweet that Olin Krutz sent out, which was you know someone asked him about his reaction from the first two days of the draft, and he said, "Love the two picks, hate that there was only two picks." Like yep. that sums <laughs> it up right there, and that's and that's Ryan Pace in a nutshell. He, he makes a lot of picks you love, but at the same time, you sit there and go, but. I have so much confidence in you in the fourth and fifth round, and you had one pick, Ryan. I just you just get frustrated just just seeing that with, with with the Bears. So, so EJ, let me turn it over to you because I'm like JB here. 
you know, I, I focus on those first, you know, first round, second round, a little bit into the third round, those, that level picks these day three picks. I'm not as familiar with these guys as someone like yourself is who grinds tape, you know, for months and months. So who out of these uh, sixth and seventh round picks, what, what jumps off the page at you? I, you know, a lot of people saying bears got some good value. What do you see? Yeah, they absolutely did. And I got legitimately amped and this is how, you know, you're a draft guy. We're, we're through five rounds. Right. And I'm looking at the board and I'm like, all right, he's got he's got four more picks, right? And I'm looking at who's available. I'm I'm going to the different position groups and I'm like, he could pick this guy, he could pick this guy, that guy fits a need, that guy would be a replacement for next year. And I'm getting legitimately amped on the live stream. And then we get to the point where the Bears have their picks. And they have like three picks out of something like 12 picks overall. They're gonna go bang, bang, bang. They're gonna get a lot of the players that are left on the board because there's not a big gap in between their picks. And I'm I'm putting out stuff on the live stream, and I'm saying, man, if he took blank, blank, and blank, he would basically clean the cupboard at the end of the sixth round and walk out of this draft a king, right? Because he already won the top of the draft. Look, the Justin Fields thing, after that, it was largely over. <laughs> he adds <laughs> Tevin Jenkins. You already won, right? You, that's really what people are looking at. But here, you could go you could go around the bottom of the barrel and come out with four more players that could influence your roster do it right and he starts off with Khalil Herbert the the halfback running back from Virginia Tech ecstatic at that pick love Khalil Herbert he was my RB5 overall in a very talented class uh just top of my second running back tier um adds a true lightning element um the ability to break long runs they ran outside zone at Virginia Tech that was Christian Derisaw's offense and it was a lot of Derisaw getting athletically outside walling off the defender and Khalil Herbert pivoting off his hip and going 60 yards because he's got that burst. Now he's a well-built back. He does contribute in the short to medium passing game as well, but it really is about him finding that lane on the outside zone and going. And the bears don't have that right now. They have David Montgomery, who is an excellent inside zone runner. He's a good gap power runner. Uh, he can break tackles and grind out 25, 30-yard chunks, which is very productive for running back. He's okay in the passing game. This gives them another player that they can put out there, catch passes, but it really gives them the speed to stretch the field to the outside and the possibility of breaking those long 30, 40, 50-yard runs, turning some of those into touchdowns because the Bears don't have one of those in a while. And it was an element that they're lacking, even with the addition of Damian Williams. Herbert brings that tremendous value where he went. What about uh, you, JB? Is there anything that jumped off the page? Even if, it's, if you're not sitting there and, and grinding some tape on some of these guys, is there anyone that jumped off the page for you on those late day three picks where you're like, that? I like where this is going for this roster? I liked when I was reading about Thomas Graham, the cornerback out of Oregon. Looked like he could be a guy that can step in and provide some depth and maybe some competition. That that was pretty interesting. And, and I like this big guy out of BYU, this big defensive tackle. Looks like he could eat some space. I mean, of course, I like defensive tackles almost as much as I like offensive linemen. But he uh, he looks like a guy that, that could come in and, and provide a solid presence. So it, it was an interesting, uh, you know, day three. I There were some wide receivers that EJ had gotten me hyped on that were on the board and actually went undrafted. Tamori and Terry being the guy that's kind of sticking out in my mind as, as a guy that EJ billed as a Cordero Patterson replacement. 
and he ended up going UDFA and went to the went to the Seahawks, I believe. So that that's unfortunate. But you know, again, day three, you're looking for you know height, weight, speed, upside on athletic skills. You're looking for guys that can come in and contribute in special teams right out of the out of the gate, or a guy that can provide some level of competition and depth. And I think all of those picks do that. All of those picks provide some level of either competition on the roster that you can see them sticking or uh, special teams value where they're going to be on the field. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I think I think Graham has potential to potentially help as a as a rookie. Tonga, I saw a tweet from Doug Farrar, who I, I like his uh, you know his football analysis, and I think he had a day two grade on Tonga. That's an absolute. That's you know that's an absolute steal in that situation. Now now EJ Daz Newsom is a guy everyone fell in love with the name immediately. You know, not a guy I know a ton about. You know his. You know, in essence, his combine numbers, I know we don't have combine this year, but his combine numbers, if, if I recall, were dreadful. But, you know, it's a guy that seems to just kind of knows how to play football. So what, what can you tell us about Newsom? Yeah, Newsom was, again, JB alluded to it. There's some other receivers on the board that I that I liked better for a variety of reasons. The big one was Kate Johnson out of South Dakota State. And strangely enough, both he and Terry went undrafted, and both of them ended up in Seattle as UDFAs. So Russell Wilson smiling about that one. But doesn't make Daz Newsom a bad football player. This is the guy that played opposite De'Ami Brown at UNC in that offense with Sam Howell and the two running backs that went, Javante Williams and Michael Carter. High-powered offense. And Daz Newsom was really their yak guy, their yards-after-the-catch guy, the guy they ran tap passes to. Um would rotate into the slot, has really good foot quickness. His ability to make a cut and change directions, dump a defender, is excellent. Um, Everybody goes to the pass he caught off the back of a Duke defender, um, which was kind of his highlight reel for his, his most recent season. The thing that I love about that clip is everybody's talking over it. If you actually listen to the commentators, what they're talking about is he caught that one, and that's a good thing because he dropped the one before it. And I'm like, ah, that's what you get when you watch the whole tape. But Newsom's quickness is really exciting, especially in that lateral game near the line, whether it's tunnel screens, tap passes, jet sweeps, he'll do a lot of that. It gives them a sort of viable replacement in training for Anthony Miller, depending on what happens with him. Um, guy that can come in and play that inside role with some size, some quickness, and really stretch short gains into longer ones. Um not a great down the field receiver uh, runs pretty good routes. Uh, you know, I've got hope for him uh, in the Chicago offense, especially if as rumored Miller moves on maybe post June one um, Graham, I was stunned was still on the board. Now this is a corner from Oregon opted out has a bunch of experience for the ducks, both outside and inside, which is extremely valuable. He's right on the line there. Physically He's just over five ten. It's about 190 pounds. So he can hold up outside. At least he did in the pack 12, but he also has experience in the slot. I think he's better than either of the players that are started uh, slotted to start in the, you know, in the nickel for the bears. So we could see Thomas Graham legitimately based on his tape, competing for a starting spot, not just contributing. If he goes into the, if they put him in the nickel package and Kyrus Tonga, you mentioned, it's funny. You mentioned Doug, Doug loved him. I think he was his DT five. I didn't love him quite as much, but he is that um, very strong space eater for BYU. The guy that's going to control, 
largely two gaps, does have pretty good movement, um, not necessarily sideline to sideline. That's not his speed, but um, I'd say in between the hashes, in between the numbers, uh, he's very good in that area, plays with a really tough streak, not surprising. Um, the fact that he was available that late, look, the Bears don't really have a lot of depth behind Eddie Goldman. Their depth has either moved on or, or proved ineffective. So uh, I think Kier Stonga has a really good path to the roster. All right, and let's, let's wrap up with this, EJ. Uh, any thoughts on the UDFA class? Any, any names jump off? The, the one for me that I've heard a lot of fans, a lot of you know, Twitter analysts like is, is the Charles Snowden spot. What, what about this UDFA class? Well, one or two names that you think could jump and make the 53? Yeah, Snowden is the biggest, uh, mostly because of his frame. Uh, not a joke at his size, but very, uh, very Leonard Floyd esque. This is a guy at six six, plays outside linebacker, played for UVA, tremendous length, and has some real flashes when he puts it together. He had some injury problems; it's why he fell, went undrafted, um, but has the potential. When he is on, he makes some incredible plays with that frame. His quickness shows a surprising amount of strength for a guy with that long a lever. Then the other guy I was excited about, C.J. Marable, the running back. Um, He comes into a crowded room, but he's an exciting runner. You never know. Could absolutely be somebody that ends up on the practice squad for a little bit of seasoning, Um, maybe taking the spot of somebody like Artavis Pierce. But I liked Pierce as well. So we'll see how he fits in with the coaching staff. But mostly with the UDFA class, it was the lack of people that a lot of people didn't get drafted in this class. A lot of guys that I thought the bears could use with talent. That's the case every year. It's such a wild West process. Um, you see some teams take only three or four. The jets only took like four and two of those were guys that I really liked uh, tight end out of old miss named Kenny Yaboa and a outside linebacker out of Oregon state named Hamaka Rashid. So they only took four, but I really liked two. And then you see other teams that just throw everything at the wall. They'll sign 14, 15 of these guys. Um, but a, a lot of talent, I would have liked to see another receiver. Um, certainly the two I mentioned that ended up going to Seattle. Um, and I think this is another thing about Justin Fields, right? Not necessarily this year, but if Fields shows out, and we go through this process again next year, and you're in the UDFA process, and you're talking to a wide receiver, you say, hey, you want to come catch passes from Justin Fields? And that's going to be a draw that the Bears don't have right now. I, I think not, not just in the UDFA, I think in the free agency class, when you have a quarterback, NFL players aren't stupid. They know you need a quarterback to win. And we, we were talking about it in this podcast. It's It changes the attraction of the Chicago Bears. So I can go play with Justin Fields. It's, it's how these, you know, it, you're finally in a position of those veterans that need the kind of those cheaper deals and you know, all those guys, the, the Bears become that much more of an attractive spot if Justin Fields, you know, becomes who we all hope he can be. We all hope he can be. I mean, that's that's what this draft has done. I mean, we've said it. The, the fan base is enthusiastic. There's hope. This, this is what we needed because I think where this fan base was the last couple months was kind of as low as they were, you know, whether you want to say Tressman the last year of Tressman, maybe the last year of John Fox, there have been low points. And I think that's where this fan base was. And it's, it's great to see it rejuvenated. So guys, I've really enjoyed this. You know, I've been, I've enjoyed having a, having a drink with you guys. I hope, uh, you know, it's been going down smooth for you and uh thanks so much for jumping on what do you guys have uh anything going on with bears over beers t- coming up soon that the fans should know about 
we're going to let EJ sleep for at least a couple <laughs> of weeks or let him recover. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll probably regroup here in a little bit and see what we can do, what we can come up with, but uh, nothing imminent. This is uh, this has been really fun. I will say that uh, if you're ever in a liquor store and find anything in the Pappy Van Winkle line, and it's you know not like overpriced by 500%, just buy it. Buy it. You will not regret it because this is the best stuff on earth. This is the best whiskey that I have ever had. Oh man. Now you're making me want some JB. That's fantastic. I, yeah, the Van Winkle stuff I've heard tales about. So I'm now, I, now I have to seek it out, but um, yeah, we're going to have some wrap up on bootleg football. Uh, we're going to start doing our divisional preview series. That'll be going on all summer. Uh, we've got a couple of guests that we pushed from the pre-draft process because uh, they were too busy, quite frankly. Um, it's busy for all of us, and we just agreed to sort of regroup after the draft. But um, they are not leftovers. Let's just say that. These are these are folks that are pretty influential in football, and, and we're excited to have them. So we'll be rolling on with good content all summer. But, yeah, a little bit of a break from Bears Over Beers. And I realized the other day, guys, that I have been watching tape between four and seven nights a week since the second week of August <laughs> between the NFL because I watched every NFL game this year and then I rolled right into draft prep and I was like, man, it's the middle of May, dude. You, you need to not watch any tape. So what did I do before the podcast? I watched more Larry Borum tape. So anyways, it's going to it's going to take a while to get out of the habit. But uh, I don't know. What's this sleep stuff you were talking about, JB? It sounds cool. Look into it. OK. As Bears banter, same thing. Haven't, you know, you guys know my format. I usually do some ranting for 10, 15 minutes and bring on a guest. Haven't really done any guests this entire off season because for the most part, when I wanted to jump on a mic, I just can't shut myself up. End up going for 30, 40 minutes straight on my own. So we'll definitely start working in some guests here over the next couple months and kind of returning back to the normal format. But, you know, as you can tell, you got three Bears fans that I think are pretty critical of the bears when opportunity presents itself to be because, well, there's been reasons to be critical, but you got three guys here, enthusiastic and optimistic. And that is exactly what you want your NFL draft to be is to just, you know, breathe that enthusiasm back into the, into the fan base. And that's exactly what pace did. All right. That's going to wrap it up guys. Thanks so much for jumping on the bears banter over beers crossover event guys really enjoyed it thanks so much thanks bill really appreciate the time thanks for having us bill it's always a great time we'll talk to you on the other side adios adios